Good morning, everyone. So glad you're here this morning to join us at the Oak Crest Church of Christ. We pray that our worship has been a blessing to you and that you will walk out those doors or those doors or those doors or however you get out of here. Feeling glad you came today. I hope you feel welcome. I hope you feel the spirit of the Lord among us. One of the things I've noticed along the way in life is that this is a mysterious universe where we live. There are some weird kind of laws and stuff going on that I can't explain. Maybe it's just me. There's some weird stuff out there. I've noticed, for example, that every time I go to the grocery store, whichever checkout line I choose is the longest. And then if I use those crazy self-checkout stands, which I hate, by the way, the one I choose always malfunctions. I can't explain it. I've noticed that if I'm driving somewhere, if I'm early and have extra time, I make every light green. If I'm running late, every light turns red. I can't explain it. It's a mystery. And I've also noticed that oftentimes the best barbecue places and the best Mexican places look like absolute dives, the kind of place you would never want to go into, a place that cockroaches would enjoy living. But when you go to those places, Lord have mercy. And I discovered this several years ago. Uh, Toward the end of my mom's life, uh, she wanted to take one last big trip with the kids and the grandkids and everybody. And so we went to Hawaii, which is a wonderful place if you can afford to go there. And we went to the Big Island. And I had heard about a particular place that was supposed to be really good. It looks like this. It's called Killer Tacos. (laughs) Now, any restaurant with the word killer in it has got to be good. But to get to this place... The one we went to is on the so-called Big Island, the island of Hawaii, and it's in an industrial area, not the touristy part of Hawaii, not the white sand beaches, not the glitzy hotels. This is like gritty, hardcore, doesn't smell so great Hawaii. And so the first time we were there, we were driving there, and my mom was thinking, what is this place? You know, and we were really concerned. And so we roll up to this place. It's an industrial area. It has an odor to it. Kind of sketchy. Kind of place you're not sure you want to actually go into. But oh my. When you go to Kill Tacos, they will give you a burrito that's about this long. They'll charge you $5. And you will walk out feeling really, really good. And the best thing is, there's not a tourist in sight. And I think sometimes... Our Bible is like that. Now, you might think that's rather odd, but let me explain. There are plenty of parts of the Bible that we are comfortable in that we know quite well. There are parts of the Bible that are easy to read. There are parts of the Bible that are so familiar, they're almost like family. And then there are other parts of the Bible that we just scratch our head and go, what in the world is that? You know, one of my students came to me not long ago and said, Brian, can you explain Revelation to me? No. Another one of my students a few years ago said, I'm reading through the Bible a little bit every day, 365 days of the year. I said, it's great. This is February. How's it going? She said, I gave up in Leviticus. And so a while back, I ran across a gem of a story. And I, when I first read it, I thought to myself, what? What is this doing in the Bible? Because it seems so unnecessary. It seems so odd. I mean, it's a neat little story and all. I get that. It's kind of a nice little short five or six verse read. But when I encountered that, I thought, what is going on here? And I want to share that passage with you today. Because I think this very obscure passage buried in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings is a story worth hearing. 
So on the slide, you're going to see this story. If you have a Bible or a device with the Bible on it, you can follow along at home. I want to share this story with you. And it goes something like this. The backstory is that Elisha, one of God's main prophets who's speaking God's word to people, is doing his prophet thing. He's got a ministry going, and he has assembled around him a group of associates, a group of other kind of prophets that are preaching God's word and trying to do ministry and just doing all of that. Now, that might seem very different than us today, but when you think about it, we're trying to follow Jesus, and we're trying to do ministry. In fact, you heard about some of the ministries Oak Crest has been doing just in the past few months. And so this story, while it might seem odd at first, I think resonates with us. So here we go. So the company of prophets said to Elisha, here in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 6, Look, the place where we meet with you is it's kind of cramped. It's, it's too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan River where each of us can get a pole and let's build a place there for us to meet. So Elijah said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? And Elisha replied, I will. And he went with them. Now, time out for a second here before we get to the next couple of verses. Just leave it there in the slide. We're good. Right now, at this point in time, all is well. This company of prophets is excited. Clearly, there's enough of them that they're growing. They need a bigger place to meet. And so, if you will, at this point in the story, a lot of us can relate to that. Because a lot of us have been at spots in our lives where all is right with the world. In fact, maybe you feel that way today. I mean, if you're an OU football fan, you don't feel that way today. And that's the way it goes sometimes. But for many of us, on this first Sunday in autumn of 2022, you think, yeah, life is good. All is right with the world. And so it is with this company of prophets. They're going to find a bigger space. They're going to work together in God's ministry. Off we go. Well, unfortunately, the story continues in verse 4. Then they went to the Jordan River and began to cut down trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, no, my Lord! He cried out, it was borrowed. Okay, now time out. <laughs> this is weird to me. <laughs> I mean, surely the Lord could have put a few more miracles from the New Testament into the Bible. Or maybe the Lord could have told us what in the world Jesus was doing from the time he was a small boy until he starts doing ministry a couple of decades later. Oh, but no. Instead, we get this story from the Old Testament about an axe head. What? Very odd. But now let me call time out and back the truck up a little bit, because when we read this, you have the exact same, maybe, perhaps, reaction that I did. What's going on here? But if you dig a little deeper, I think we can understand what's going on. This, this axe head is made of iron, and iron to us is no big deal. But back then, iron was a rare commodity. There wasn't a lot of it around, and you couldn't just run to Home Depot and buy another one. And so this particular tool that this particular person had was pretty important. In particular, the fact that this guy had such a tool was pretty important, too, because chances were pretty good he was using this tool to earn a livelihood. And so what would happen typically at this time, way back in the day, is that if you had one of these tools, people would pay you to come to your place and chop down a tree or to use that axe head in such a way as to earn a living. So when this axe head gets dropped into the water, this man's livelihood was taken away. 
It's as if whatever you do to earn a living today was taken away from you, and there is no disability insurance. In other words, this axe head in the water isn't just, oh, there it is, too bad, an axe head. Instead, this is a pretty big deal to this guy. A crisis has disrupted this guy's world. In fact, what's interesting is he says, oh no, it was borrowed. Now it's interesting, some versions will translate that, alas. But the way we understand that word from the original Hebrew language is a little bit different. It's as if he says, ah, he's frustrated. He's sad. He realizes that something has just really shaken his world. And he says it was borrowed. What does that mean? Well, basically it means <laughs> this. It doesn't literally mean that he had borrowed it from someone. It basically means that he was kind of making type of installment payments on it. It's as if your house has burned down and you haven't paid off the mortgage yet and you're not insured. And so when he says it was borrowed, it means that he is on the hook to repay whatever is outstanding on this axe head. And since the guy probably didn't have a lot of money to just pay for that, it meant he probably had to sell himself into someone else's service. This is a big deal. And when I read the commentaries about this passage, I began to think, oh, maybe that's why this is in the story. And I think it's possible that maybe for some of us today, in this room, on a fine first Sunday in the autumn of 2022, maybe some of your worlds have been disrupted by crisis as well. I think there's a good chance of that. In fact, just on my campus in the past uh, 18 months or so, there are my student, many of my students whose lives have been disrupted with crisis. One of my students, for example, had to drop out of school because both of her parents lost their job during the COVID-19 thing and neither one of them could find work again. Can't afford to help their kid go to college, kid drops out of college. One of my students had a sibling take his own life. That will disrupt her world. One of my students had a father who chose to be unfaithful to his wife, and so now my student is forced with a disrupted family. We don't have to go down the list of what it is that has disrupted your world or caused a crisis, whether it's large, like the ones I've just shared with you, or whether it's small. But the fact of the matter is, I think a lot of us could relate to the idea that one moment all is right with the world, and the next moment, crisis. You think everything is great, and the next moment, it's not so great. And so, the story continues in verses 6 and 7 of 2 Kings. The man of God asked, where did it fall? Well, when he was shown the place, Elisha cut a stick and he threw it in the water there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and he took it. <laughs> and the story ends. What? What in the world is going on here? And the more I read about this, the more I was really struck by the hidden power of this story. What are we supposed to take from this? Why is this in the Bible? And I think the more I read about this, the more I thought about my friends here at Oak Crest, and the more I thought about my students, the more I thought about my own life, the more I realized I think there's a lot to learn from this very short passage. Let me start with this. I think one of the things we can glean from this is that no crisis 
No crisis is hopeless if we cry out to God in the middle of it. That reaction, ah! And then this movement by the man of God, by Elisha, to try and intervene, to me, represents this crying out of people. The passage that was read from Psalms a moment ago is a passage of crying out to God. In fact, a great number of the Psalms feature someone crying out to God in the midst of some kind of crisis. One of my favorites is in Psalm 5. It's a very brief psalm where David cries out to God, Listen to my words, Lord, consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In fact, if you read the book of Job, for 20 or so chapters, Job is just crying out to God because of his situation. And so this story that's buried in the Old Testament reminds me that what oftentimes seems to us like such a big crisis is a big crisis. But that's the time to cry out to God. My family back in Arizona when I grew up used to have this friend of ours at church. And this friend of ours at church was of the belief that people ought to suffer in silence. If you're ill, you should suffer in silence. Don't tell us you're sick. Don't tell us you don't feel well. Suck it up. Just get through it. And I think this person had the entire viewpoint of life being the same way. Look, the scriptures don't teach us to suffer in silence. The scriptures don't teach us that if all is not right with our world, that we are to grit our teeth and bear it. Instead, what we have in scripture are laments, and we have people crying out to God. And I think that's a really important lesson for us to learn because I think sometimes we're tempted to think that if we cry out to God, that's weakness on our part or a lack of faith on our part. Boy, I really appreciate the song service that Ted and his team have structured for us this morning, in part because it's a mixture of older songs and newer-ish songs. And there's another older-ish song that I used to sing a lot when I was a kid growing up. It's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Maybe you know the song, maybe you don't, but a portion of the lyrics go like this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That crying out of the axe head in the water, to me, is a reminder that it's okay in your own way to cry out to God. Now, that might be a silent prayer, that might be you verbalizing when no one else is around whatever it is that you have on your mind to God. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I, I walk to and from work each day, and so as I stop at a red light to cross the street or as I walk along against the traffic, I'll oftentimes see people driving in their cars and their lips are moving. And most of the time, they're probably on their cell phone when they shouldn't be. But I'd like to think that some of them, at least a few of them, are praying crying out to God. You see, the attitude of this man could have been, ah, well, there goes my axe head, I guess I'm in trouble, but instead he calls out to God. It's okay to cry out to God. And I wonder this morning who in this room, who that's live streaming, needs to cry out to God in the midst of crisis. But there's a second lesson here for us also, and I think it is this. Do you realize that God cares about even your smallest crisis? Do you realize that God cares about whatever it is that has disrupted your world today? This guy in the story here in 2 Kings 6 has lost 
lost an axe head. And as I said, to us that's not a big deal. To him it was. But even today as we read this, on the other side of all that history, in a very different time and culture, the reality is it seems small to us that it wasn't to him and clearly it wasn't to Elisha who invoked the power of God to bring the axe head to float. I think all too often we believe that God isn't interested in the small parts of our life. And I confess to you that for a long time I thought that was the case. For a long time in my Christian faith I thought, you know, God is interested in the big stuff, but not the small stuff. I've changed. I believe that if it's a crisis to us, it's a crisis to God. That's the only way that lyric from the song, Oh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, makes any sense. In fact, what I see over and over again in Scripture are people that are reaching out to God in all kinds of different circumstances. I remember a few years ago, one of my students happened to walk by my office as I was walking into my office, and I said, hey, how's it going? And she said, not good. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I'm having a bad day. I said, oh, tell me about it. And she said, my favorite pair of jeans got paint all over them when I was doing some kind of a project, and they're the only pair of jeans I had that fit, and it's so hard to find a pair of jeans that fits, and I'm just so frustrated right now, and on top of that, I'm not having a great hair day, and on top of that, I forgot to turn on the sign in, and I just don't want to go anywhere right now. <laughs> and I said to myself, they never taught me how to handle this when I was in graduate school. <laughs> and so I said, come on in, sit down, let's have a conversation. And she sat down next to the box of tissues I have in my office for just such occasions. And she proceeded to tell me about what a bad, rotten day she was having. And for many of us, we look at that and go, it's a pair of jeans. Although I will tell you this, I've had many women mention offhandedly over the years, finding a pair of jeans that fits and is comfortable is a very difficult thing. That's another one of those mysterious laws of the universe I don't understand. But as I talked to that young lady that day, I think that was one of the first times when I began to realize no, wait, maybe God is interested when your genes are ruined. Maybe God is interested when you forgot to turn in an assignment. Maybe God really does care when you can't find your car keys. Maybe God really does care when what you think is insignificant is big. And especially when what you think is big to other people is insignificant. It's just an axe head. But God cares about this. We did not sing the song Amazing Grace today, but we probably could have, because the same person who wrote the lyrics to that well-known song wrote this about this passage in 2 Kings 6. John Newton. Not one concern of ours is small if we belong to him to teach us this, Lord of all, once made iron to swim. In fact, it's funny, before worship today, two people came to me and said, Hey, I'm interested in this sermon today. What's up with the title, When Iron Swam? And I thought to myself, <laughs> It's from a John Newton quote. And I think Newton understood this. Because John Newton, if you know his story, slave trader turned Christian author of amazing grace, someone who was so in tune with God's grace in his life, someone who knew large crises of faith, you know that for him to write this is powerful. If you forget everything else I've said this morning, I want you to remember that God is concerned about the smallest crisis and the smallest thing 
in your life. I think he would want you to understand that this morning. And I don't know who is in this room that needs me to hear you reminded of that, but I believe it's important. And third, I think God is able to use the circumstances of our life, crisis or otherwise, to make restoration. Elisha acts quickly. Uh, Elijah, in fact, is right there. He cuts a stick and he uses it to invoke the power of God. And the axe head comes to the surface of the water and all is made right with the world. And what's interesting is that Elisha just kind of takes what is on hand. A bunch of people are cutting down trees and axe head goes into the water. So he cuts a stick and uses that to pull it out. Those are the circumstances. And so these circumstances meet the power of God, and we have restoration. For this guy, the axe head is found again, his livelihood is back, and the the unbalanced world is balanced once again. The power of God is invoked in these circumstances of crisis, and there is restoration. And so, if we start to string this together, the smallest crises of our life that God is interested in can trigger the power of God to work in our lives, and we can be restored, even if it's just a pair of jeans, even if it's just lost car keys, even if it's having to drop out of college, or experiencing the loss of a loved one. The power of God can bring restoration. And when I think about that, I think about two things. I think, first of all, of Apollo 13. You might remember that particular mission. They were supposed to go to the moon, supposed to be able to walk on the moon, but a catastrophic mechanical problem prevented them from doing that. And as they were so many, 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 many miles from this earth, alone out there in space, They had to improvise and adapt and overcome. So this particular picture here on the slide will show you what they had to create. And this looks like some kind of a fifth grade science project, doesn't it? They had to essentially do something to the filtration system of the module in which they were living on their way to the moon. And they had hoses from spacesuits, and they had tube socks, and they had duct tape, and literal duct tape. And they used this to create what was necessary for them to return back to Earth. And by the way, if you haven't seen the movie on this real-life incident, I recommend it, because it gives you an even better picture of what they had to do in order to make this thing work. What's the point? The point is they used what was on hand. The point is they took these circumstances and they said, that's okay, we can fix this. And so God can take the circumstances of our lives, crisis large, crisis small, And God says, I can fix that. I'm bigger than that crisis. I can invoke my power, and I can bring restoration. God is able to do that. And that's the second thing I think of with this passage. There's another more recently produced song called He is Able. And a portion of the lyrics go like this. He is able more than able to do what concerns me today, jeans, car keys, money, he's able. He is able more than able to handle anything that comes my way, axe head, loss of a loved one, uncertainty about career, chronic back pain. He is able more than able to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able more than able to make me 
what he wants me to be. Because you see, the power of God is invoked not just to help you find your car keys, not just to help you overcome a bad day, not just to help you deal with the loss of a loved one. All of that comes together to help make each of us what God wants us to be. And so that axe head that's pulled out of the water is not just there to bring restoration to this unnamed associate of the great prophet Elisha. It's done to continue to mold and shape this follower of God. And I can't help but wonder what circumstances in your life God can use to bring restoration and to make you who he wants you to be. Finally, last but not least, this story reminds me we have to do our part. We do. (laughs) Think about it. Elisha could have done all kinds of things to bring the axe head to the surface. It could have been that he just spoke it. Instead, he cuts the stick and he says, lift it out. And so the man whose axe head had gone into the water has to walk over, he has to bend down, he has to lift it out, it drips water, he picks it up, and I assume he puts it back on the handle. But the point is, he has to do something. And the reality is, in my experience and in the experience of many people I've known, we do have to do our part. Look, the way that God works is mysterious, and sometimes things just happen that are mysteriously the power of God. But there are other times where we do our part. God wants us to be saved, but our part is right back there behind me in that baptistry. It's true. In fact, God will hear our prayers, but you have to actually do the praying. It's true that God's promises are all throughout the Bible, but we have to claim them and live our lives as if we actually believe that we have those promises. God has a will for our life, that's true, but we have to do our part by living it. And this story, simple as it is, reminds me of that. God could have parted the Red Sea by just speaking. Moses had to raise his arms. God could have beaten the Midianites, but he had Gideon raise an army and choose a smaller number of people to go and do the fighting. He had to do his part. Peter and John had to leave their homes and walk all over the dusty Middle East to spread the gospel. They had to do their part in the spreading of the gospel. And so that reminds me of a friend of mine back in Portland, Oregon. He actually preached at the church in Portland before I did. His name is Rudy Ray. Here's a photograph of Rudy. Rudy uh, very much wanted to spread the gospel in Cuba. If you know anything about Cuba since the 1950s, Cuba has been a nation riven by communism. Its doors have been closed to the gospel. And finally, in 2015, with some thawing of the relationship between the United States and Cuba, the door was open for people to go in. And one of the first people to be a missionary to Cuba after we could get people into Cuba to do that was my friend Rudy Ray. In fact, he'd been preparing for that for years. And so, in an interview talking about the spread of the gospel in Cuba, here's what Rudy said. God did the hard part. I just did the easy part. The easy part was securing the proper documentation, taking the risks, taking the time, and doing the advanced preparation to go into Cuba and baptize, at last count, over 125 people. The point, of course, is sometimes in the midst of crisis, God's power is invoked But we have to do our part. And so I wonder what your part is in God's restoration of your life. Is it crying out to him? Is it humbling yourself? I don't know what it is, but I suspect there's probably something there. 
And so to wrap all this up, I think you can learn a lot from an axe head. <laughs> I really do. And I don't know how all of this lands into your life this morning, but I suspect that for many of us that have experienced crisis or are in the midst of crisis, large or small, I hope this is a word of encouragement to you this morning. Because when you read through the Bible, it's amazing what you find there. And so this morning, we're going to sing about God's ability to do not just what he did here in 2 Kings 6, but to do what God will do in our lives. And so in a moment, Ted's going to lead us in the song, He is Able. And as we sing those lyrics, I hope you sing them like you really believe them. And I hope in the back of your mind, you're thinking about whether this church family can be a blessing to you and pray about what's a crisis in your life and how this church family perhaps can baptize you in that baptistry and help you do your part to bring the salvation of God into your life. And so if we can be a blessing to you, one of our shepherds will be here at the front of the room. Another will be out there in the lobby if that's more comfortable for you. But whatever it is, as we sing about God's ability to do more than we can dream, if you have needs that we can meet, would you let us do that this morning? And so, Ted, would you come and bless us? And let's stand as a church family and sing.